Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Matt Shapiro. A little over a week ago, so for those of you who might not know, um, Pressman Academy has started classes. Um, the ECC, the preschool program, has been meeting in person. The uh, the grades kindergarten through eighth grade have all been uh, meeting via Zoom. And last week uh, was the first week of that. Um, I will say first and foremost, uh, a massive yasher koach and immense gratitude to the administration and the teachers of Pressman Academy. They are, they are doing incredible work. I have never been more grateful to be a Pressman parent. Uh, they're, they're just doing amazing stuff. And I'm very, very grateful for each and every one of them. And so a, a little over a week ago, as this first week of, of Zoom school was wrapping up, I was struck by a particular moment, uh, by the gap between the kind of parent that I aspire to be, the kind of parent that I want to be, and the kind of parent that I sometimes am. Um, so it was before Shabbat, right as Shabbat was about to come in last week, and in the usual pre-Shabbat rush of getting ready and finishing up emails and to-do lists and et cetera for the week, the boys are running around and so on and so forth. And I was in my my home office, the section of my bedroom that I work from most of the time, and I'm, I'm trying to dash off the last email or two. Um, and at this point, El- Eliav has just started kindergarten. So it was, it was his first week of kindergarten. Jonah's in fourth, Eliav's in kindergarten. And Eliav says, Abba. I'm like, no, I'm not listening. I can't do stuff. He goes, Abba. I said, Eliav, I can't, I can't talk to you right now. I need to finish up my work. And he looks at me in this sort of forlorn way. He can sometimes look at me and he goes, I just wanted to tell you that I had no thorns in our house, we do roses and thorns. We say one good thing about our week, one challenging thing about our week on Shabbat. And he was just very excited to tell me that he had no thorns. That's all he wanted to tell me. And I was so impatient. I was so caught up in what I was doing that instead of listening to him and, and taking that moment, I, I was not only otherwise focused, I was, I was frustrated, right? And I directed my frustration at him instead of just pausing to listen to my son. I know that it's important to listen to my kids. I know that when my kids have something to say to me, that's more important than whatever email I'm in the middle of sending. And I forget and I get distracted and I lose sight of that. And even though it's something that feels really obvious, it's at the same time something that isn't always at the forefront of my mind and something that feels surprisingly easy to not remember. And there's a particularly fine point on this by the Rab Chal, by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lozado. Um, at the beginning of his work, Mesilat Yesharim, the, the path of the upright, um, his most well-known work from the 18th century, um, and a text about how to live your life well that later on became the one of the foundational texts of Musar, the Jewish spiritual discipline towards uh, cultivation of, of self and uh, character traits. And the Ramchal says at the very beginning, he says, in most of my works, you will not find anything other than observations about which most people have little doubt. However, it is precisely those concepts which are most evident that tend to be overlooked. And ironically, it is common for people to be oblivious to those ideas whose truth is unchallenged. There are a whole host of ways we can think about this that... uh, 
the concepts that are most evident tend to be overlooked. It is common for people to be oblivious to ideas is truth is unchallenged. And I'll locate it back in the example I gave. There is no one who would challenge the truth of the fact that I should be patient with my kids. I don't think. I think most people wouldn't. And yet it is common for me to be very oblivious to that essential fact. Not all the time, but more consistently than I'd like, I'd like to acknowledge, right? So then the question emerges from that. Well, how can I remember more? How can I be less oblivious? How can I find a way to connect more consistently and more deeply with the essential truth that is so evident that I yet still consistently overlook? And the Ramchal continues, the advantage of this book can result only from repeated readings because that may remind people of those things that tend to be forgotten. And a person can then set his heart to those obligations which one tends to overlook. If I go back and I reread and I reread this book, even though I might not learn anything new, that process of reading, of study, of returning to that text can in turn itself be then a reminder for how not to go astray. The practice itself grounds me in something that in turn helps me set my heart in such a way that I'll be less likely to act in such a way that isn't in line with the things that are evident that yet I forget anyway, right? If I ground myself in that, it's a reminder, and then I'm less likely to act in a way that isn't in line with the way I want to be living my life. There's a clear analog for this in the Parsha. This is actually the, the, the text that I brought on Tuesday night with my friend and colleague, Rabbi Miriam Green Potok, who I've been doing this Tuesday night class with. And as we were teaching this, um, a very clear analog from the Parsha popped to my, popped into my head. Um, the verses, some of the verses that Rabbi Schatz was chanting just a moment ago, this idea of a king needing to write for himself and then consistently read and reread the Torah, right? So just as we read in chapter 17 a few moments ago, when the king is seated on his throne, he should have a copy of this teaching, lo et mishneha Torah. He should have a copy of this teaching, a Torah hazot al-sefer, written for him on a scroll, written by him on a scroll in front of the Kohanim Leviim. And then it says, V'hayta imo v'karavo kol yemei chayav. It should remain with him all of his life. He should read it all of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, to observe faithfully every word of this teaching as well as these laws. The king, no less than the king, should always have a copy of the Torah with him and he should read it all of his life. Unless you think that this is something that is merely figurative. In the Mishnah, in the first compiled written layer of rabbinic text, Tractate Sanhedrin, uh, chapter 2, Mishnah 4, it makes it clear that this is not just a figurative construct, not just an idea um, to be thinking about. It says, it lists out the different times that he should have the Torah with him, very clearly. When he goes out to war, he brings it with him. When he comes back from war, he brings the Torah with him. Yoshev Badin ki imo. When he sits in judgment, when he's adjudicating, he has the Torah with him. Mesev, he connecto, when he reclines to eat, the Torah is opposite with him. As it is stated, it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. Wherever the king goes, whatever he is doing, at war, at peace, in judgment, around his house, he should always have a copy of the Torah with him and he should consistently read it all of the time. 
I think this is very, very closely connected, this idea with exactly what the Ramchal is talking about, that the king, so that he doesn't get distracted, so that he doesn't go astray, so that he is less oblivious, that's why he should do this ongoing, consistent spiritual practice. Now, it's possible to say, and I think the normative understanding of this concept is to say that this is mostly unique to the king, right? That this is something the Torah seems skeptical of the concept of a king to begin with, that there's there's some ambivalence about that style of leadership uh, that we see borne out, right, later on in, uh, in different uh, stories, uh, uh, different parts of our history in Nevi'im. So it's possible to say that this is unique to the king, that the king forgets that the king is someone who really needs to be reminded over and over and over again, and that's why this is listed in these verses. I would say it's also possible to maybe flip that around. Even the king, even the king who pairs bears such great responsibility for all these people, for the whole kingdom, for everything that's happening. Even the king, that is his job, that is responsibility that is on his shoulders every single day. If even the king himself needs to be reminded, how much the more so each one of us leading our humdrum everyday lives can get easily distracted. We don't necessarily have the magnitude of the enormous responsibility that each one of us has as a person in the world at the forefront of our mind. So I would say that much more so that each one of us, even if we're not schlepping around a Torah scroll with us every day, that would be challenging all the time. And certainly in the COVID era, uh, even if we're not schlepping around a Torah with us, uh, the Safari app goes very nicely on your phone, that we should still engage in that practice of consistently reading and rereading so that, as the verses say, we can revere God so we can observe the teaching faithfully. Now, what Ramchal was talking about is a real challenge, and it might seem a little overly reductive to just say, ah, so how do we avoid this challenge of being oblivious? Study Torah. The end. Shabbat Shalom. Very good. Now, it's true. Study certainly is a form of spiritual practice. There is something beautiful about the sense that the text, which remains consistent, the words of the Torah or the words of the Siddur, as we're davening, that those words remain the same, yet when we return to it, we each hopefully are evolving and changing and growing. And since we are different, we bring a new self to the text and the text can illuminate in turn something new within us, within us, or we see something new in the text that we hadn't seen before that can be and should be and ideally is a rich form of spiritual practice that each and every single one of us engages in. Absolutely. And it's also true that you can read something every single day and not really pay attention to it and just sort of goes in one ear and out the other. And it might even be possible that the more you read it, the more prone you are to block it out. If there is a favorite prayer of yours that you have said consistently at some point or that really uh, was rich in meaning for you, at a certain point, maybe that starts to get a little bit rote. And so I think there's also the very real challenge of a spiritual practice, whatever it might be for you, prayer, study, meditation, exercise, whatever it is for you that does meaningful spiritual practice, it can become rote and not necessarily trigger and create the kind of response that you want or enhance your life in the way that it might have. So then there's this challenge of becoming a little more aware and a little more maybe even vigilant. And to that, what popped into my head was the very, very beginning of the parasha. You should place judges and officers in all of your gates. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, you should have judges and officers. Great. 
but there seems to be maybe an extraneous word there. Titen lecha. Why lecha? You could just say, titen bechol sharecha. You should place them in your gates. That would be enough to communicate the meaning. The Katzger Rebbe, one of the great Hasidic sages, a pretty stringent and strict guy himself, he says that you place them for yourself. You place them lecha for you as an individual, for your own character, in every aspect of yourself so that you can assess yourself, playing with this idea of, sha- of sha'ar, it can be gate, it can also be shi'ur, a measurement. So you place these judges in, around uh, each, of you, each aspect of yourself to better assess yourself, and then according to your assessment of yourself, you judge yourself. So what the parasha is laying out, the Kutzker Rebbe is saying, is not just something that is happening externally, but it's something that each one of us needs to set up internally to make sure that we are doing the work of monitoring what we are doing as individuals, to see the personal work that we each have to do. And so there is the way in which we accomplish this verse is by working to watch ourselves and know ourselves better and to then grow a little bit more. If I set up that kind of mechanism, then it's less likely for my spiritual practice to become rote because I'm watching myself that much more carefully. It's interesting to note in this verse that halfway through it flips from uh, the singular to the plural, right? It's saying, Titen lecha bechol she'arecha, you should place them for yourself, as a Kutzker would have it, in all of your gates. Ashir Adonai lecha noten lecha l'shivtecha, that God places, that God gives you in your tribes. And then the last clause of the verse is, Vishavtu et ha'am mishpat tzedek, right? And they shall, right? They shall govern the people with due justice. Those judges and officers, they are the ones who govern the people, uh, with due justice. I would play with that a little bit more to say that if each one of us places those internal mechanisms for being more diligent, that is what makes it possible for all of us to have the communal impact of governing with due justice. If we each individually do the work to set up those monitors for how we are behaving in our lives, maybe, maybe, That is what makes it possible for us to in turn band together so that we can collectively bring more justice into the world. I think one of the challenging things, one of the many, 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 many challenging aspects of the past few months for me has been that my internal guards to assess myself and my behavior in the world have not necessarily been as accurate or well-honed as I thought they might have been. And so the process of re-evaluating and re-establishing what an accurate assessment of my behavior in the world could ideally look like, that's a really challenging and uncomfortable process. And it's necessary for me to, as the Kutzker says, consistently be assessing. Am I acting in such a way that is in line with justice and righteousness in the world. And if and when I do that, and if and when we do that, that's hopefully what makes it possible for each of us to bring a little more justice and for each of us to be a little more aware. So that's really important. And that's really difficult. And that can be really draining. And that can maybe even be discouraging. If I'm holding myself to that stringent of a standard, I can get pretty worn out. And I can get maybe even a little frustrated that I'm falling short so much of the time. I'm going to hop back once more to the last verses of last week's parasha, because it's always interesting to think about what connects one parasha to another. And those verses were talking about the way in which people would bring sacrifices for the festivals. 
And the Parsha closes, right? Closes by saying, Lo et Adonai Rekam, you shall not appear before God empty handed. Ish kemat nat yado kevirkat Adonai Elohecha, asher natan lecha. But rather each one with his own gift according to the blessing that the Lord your God, again in the singular, has given to you. Each one of us has received a unique blessing, and each one of us has a unique gift to give. Again, the individual language assesses, establishes that this is not just something that we do collectively. This is something that each one of us does as an individual. Rabbi Schatz uh, nudged me to come and see my uh, teacher, Rabbi Mark Borovitz, yesterday in his uh, Elul Plus class. And I'm reminded now that the process of tshuva, as Rabbi Mark was talking about, yes, we need to see where we have missed the mark. And we also need to see possibly first what we have done well. That if we can't sit with and honor the things that we are successful at, it makes it that much harder, if not impossible, to accurately assess the areas we still have to grow into. And so when we remember that we each have a unique gift to offer, that's possibly how we can then have the the koach, the strength to monitor ourselves. When we remember that we each have worth, that's why we do the work, to guard ourselves so carefully, because we see the impact that we have on others. And because that work is difficult, that's why it's really important for us to remember that we each have something unique and holy to bring. So over the course of these words, I've gone backwards over the past Parsha Plus, and I'm going to read it out forwards as I conclude. First, establish self-worth. First, establish that you have a unique gift to offer, that you are uniquely blessed, that you are a holy and, and a holy individual that has no double in the world. There's no one else like you. And then you pause, just as there was a pause in the parsha. Then you pause. And you can reflect on that. And then you do the work to set up those judges for yourself in all of your gates, to be careful, to be mindful, to be thoughtful about what you're doing, which then in turn hopefully has some kind of a collective impact as well. And then you keep reminding yourself, you keep studying, you keep learning, you carry that Torah with you just as a king does, so to each of us, responding to the Ramchal's initial assessment that we forget and challenge to make sure that we keep remembering. When I remember that I can do something unique and that I have unique blessing, just as all of us do, it makes it a little bit easier. It boosts me up to then have the courage to assess myself clearly and to see where I fall short as a friend, as a husband, as a parent, as a colleague. And then I can see, hey, maybe that impacts the other people around me. And then I keep doing that work over and over and over and over again. It is, after all, Elul. This is the season of tshuva, of repentance, yes, of response, yes. And in this context of return, returning again to the text, returning again to the work, returning again to remember and hold up the infinite worth of every single person. And that's something we forget even about those we love most, something I forget even about those who I love most. And it's something that we, it's something that I must always and daily work to remember. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.